Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Northfield Radio Program. I'm excited that you're here with me today. I've got a great show for you today, but as always, want to say thank you to our friends at Outpost Coffee. Check these guys out at outpostcoffeeco.com. So on today's program, I have a sit-down conversation with Pastor Caleb Moore from the Catoosa area, and we talk about just how he actually was an atheist, and now he is a pastor and a church planner, and we talk about atheism, we talk about Mormonism, we talk about how to engage folks uh, with the power of the gospel. And I just think it's a really great conversation. I think you're going to be encouraged and really enjoy this conversation. So um, thanks again for listening and being a part of this radio program. Welcome to the Northfield Nation, Mr. Caleb Moore. How are you doing, sir? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Man, excited you are here with me. So we, you and I, we've sort of kind of... So people can find out or know how we met. Um, you and I both write for the Baptist Journal Convention's uh, online blog called Word Slingers. That's first. That's that's how I first found out about you, and read some of your articles there. And then we became Facebook friends, and we've talked a few times on the phone. Man, I just I love seeing what you're doing. You're you are a pastor, and correct. Where are you a pastor at? I pastor a church called Catusa First. Uh, it's in Catusa. We actually took over. In November, First Baptist Catusa. Okay. And so I've been a church planner now for about 10 years, and I pastored a church in Tulsa for quite some time. And then we brought almost our entire church out to Catusa to help a small church plant. Mm-hmm. And that one grew big enough that we were able to take over First Baptist Catusa that was only down to about six or eight people and in a church that seats over 300. Wow. And uh, we're... We've been doing the great work of church revitalization now, and we've seen their church grow. We're about 100 now on average, and uh, we're just getting started, so I'm excited to see what God's going to do. So how, how is it that you, like, what, what was it that got you, uh, or got the church to the point where it's actually growing? What, what do you think, what, what did you do to bring about the church growth? FaceTime. That's as far as I know, the only uh, church growth strategy that is long term and actually sustains a church. My desire was is this church here that I'm at now is older than Oklahoma. It was built in uh, 1881. Wow! And it was about to close the doors. It was about to die. And the reason is it used to be kind of the center of the community. They did lots of stuff to help people. And as people got older, they failed to pass it on to the next generation. So there was no next generation. Mm -hmm. So the things that we've done is we've just been all about Catoosa. That's why we changed the name to Catoosa first, because that's our primary uh, place that we're trying to reach. So we spend as much time in the community instead of trying to bring people here. Uh, We spend a lot of time out in the community. We've adopted a trailer park. We have a thriving clothing and food ministry. We feed and clothe entire families. every week. And, um, so just, just going and around and meeting with people and beginning to visit, letting them know that we're here has, has been the most effective way for growth. That's amazing. I love to hear those. Um, so tell us how Jesus got a hold of you. Well, I grew up Southern Baptist and as happens to many people, when you grow up that environment, my dad was a youth pastor at First Baptist Tulsa, which was one of the largest churches in Oklahoma at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had heard it all. I didn't know if I believed much of it. You know, as a kid, you believe as kids do. I had a lot of questions when I was in high school, 
and the Sunday school teachers weren't really in the business of answering those. Every every response, like, how do I know God is real? Mm-hmm. The response was, you just got to have faith. And that didn't cut it for me after a while. So I, I hopped around to different youth groups. I found a youth pastor I really liked. Uh, he took me under his wing, began to educate me and help me grow my faith. And while I was on a mission trip, he went to the garage with a gun in one hand and a Bible in the another and took his life. The youth pastor that you Correct. loved committed suicide. Uh-huh. Wow. I, I became a, an atheist at that point. Um, mm. At least I proclaimed it. I, I had my journals from that time. And even though I said there was no God, I wrote about God an awful lot. Um, but it was while waiting tables. I, I lived the life that comes if you reject the moral laws of God and became a law unto myself. And uh, got in some trouble with the law to where I was taking the city bus because they didn't think it was good for me to have a driver's license. <laughs> so they took that away from me. Okay. And I was waiting tables, and a gentleman come up to me, and he said he wanted to tell me something. He felt like God was putting it on his heart, and I thought, oh, great, it's one of those Rama guys, uh, charismatic, <laughs> whatever. And all he said was, God's not mad at you. Why are you mad at him? Oof. And I bawled my eyes out in the middle of the restaurant, called my mom and said, I'm ready to come home. I gave my life to Christ. And I said, I don't know what else to do with my life. I didn't think I was going to live as long as I had lived uh, because of the way I was living. Mm. And God said, well, why don't you try ministry? So here I am, about 17 years in a ministry. So how old are you now? I'll be 40 in May. You're an old man. I know. Tell me about it. My back hurts just sitting here. I say that as a 40-year-old man, so. <laughs> right. I know. Turn up. We had to turn up our hearing aids for this conversation. Yeah, I got it cranked up really loud. Um, so that's, that's incredible. So what, it's, you, you said that God really drew you into the ministry. What, what made you decide to get into pastoring? It was kind of just by default. And I'm, I'm still, now, my church might not like to hear this, I'm still not sure if I'm supposed to be a pastor. Mm. Um, it's not, for me, this is where God has called me to right now. And I love it. And I love what I do. And I don't know what else I would do, but I never was pursuing this. I like to teach. I I got a job as a youth pastor and I loved it. And I thought I would be a youth pastor forever, but I noticed something. I had these great youth students, but their parents were a mess. Yep. And so I realized that if I really wanted to help the next generation of children, it wasn't just educating them that I need to get a hold of parents. Absolutely. So I used, uh, uh, that was kind of my motivation. Um, I had a lot of friends who were still atheists and they used to joke about if I, they would never go to church unless I pastored one. So one day I just said, okay, I quit my job. I bought a house and moved to Tulsa and became a church planner. That's awesome. And did those atheist friends visit your church when they found out you were a pastor? Not at all. Turns out atheists don't mind lying. Imagine that. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, some, of, some of them did. Um, some of my friends who might say they were religious but hadn't been to a church in probably 15 years, yeah. they would come. But it really became the focus of our small church that we had in Tulsa for seven years to reach out to people who hated church. So we weren't a very big church. We didn't pull from any other churches. We had no core group we started with. It was my wife and I. And we literally just went to like tattoo shops and motorcycle shops, built relationship, found out who 
had maybe never heard the gospel at all or who hated it, the idea of God and religion. And we would work for years in building those relationships and leading those people to the Lord. That's so awesome. So in the conversations that you and I have had, you've actually had some f- interesting interactions with um, other religious organizations. Um, and, and you and I sort of had a great little little conversation on the phone not too long about uh, not too long ago about uh, Mormonism. And so I wanted to touch base on that just sort of kind of get your your feel on what what's going on with the Mormon Church in our state. Well, the Mormon Church is the American religion. Mormonism truly is. And I say that because American is uh, America is very based upon emotions. It's postmodern, so whatever you feel to be true is true. Mormonism is the spiritual reflection of that. And so in Mormonism, there is not, per se, this solid, never-ending truth. Mm-hmm. The very idea they have about God could change tomorrow if the prophet <clears throat> believes it should change. If he gets a new revelation, he could get a revelation that says God's an Eskimo, and everybody would then believe that God was an Eskimo. And I say that jokingly, but historically, it's they happened. have always changed with the times. Yeah, uh, They used to say that blacks could not have the priesthood. You couldn't reach the highest level of Mormonism if you were an African-American. During the Civil Rights Movement, yep. lo and behold, there becomes a revelation. And whenever they're pressed really hard on certain things, it's incredible how a revelation comes along and changes their mind. I mean, they just did it. They had three years ago, they had a revelation that if you are a good, faithful Mormon, but your parents are lesbians or gay, that you can not get your temple recommends. You cannot participate in that. And just in the last week, they totally reversed that and said, okay, we've got another revelation, and now that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is so interesting and I, I told you this story and I'll, I'll give the brief version of it my my dad was a church planner in Wyoming and for the yeah. well, actually for the Southern Baptist Convention as well and they uh, they planted this little church in a town called Wright Wyoming and in Wright Wyoming the, the Mormon church there was the second largest church uh, right next to to the Baptist church and they would go around behind my dad after he'd go visit and he would throw, you know, they, they'd say, hey, we're just like the Baptists. We just have more to offer. Well, Dad caught wind of that, and he made these Old West-style reward posters that threw up their theology. That, you, know, if you, believe, you know, if you can yeah. prove that, they don't, that Satan and Jesus aren't brothers, there's $5,000. If you can prove that, uh, you know, women are not going to be eternally pregnant and uh, populate the Mormon spirit worlds, you get like $10,000. And so all these different religions. And so at the end, you know, to culminate this, he he sits down at the president's, uh, the Mormon president's table, and they uh, they discuss this, and they say, why are you lying about the Mormon church? And he said, I'm not lying about the Mormon church. You're lying about the Baptist church. You're saying you're just like us. You're nothing like us. And the, yeah. and the guy's like, well we can't really explain those things to new beginning Mormons. They have to be in our church for a little bit before they can really truly understand those doctrines. And they said, well, don't say you're just like us. And his, the, the president's wife is in the room listening to this conversation. And she goes, wait a second, we believe this kind of stuff. So his, yeah. the, the, the president's wife of the Mormon church in Wyoming didn't even realize that these doctrines were there. So it's like, Whoa, it's so crazy. If you attend, if you attend one of their wards, and that's what their churches are called uh, on a Sunday morning, you're not going to learn 
really any theology, or if it is, it's just bare minimum. Somebody gets up, you know, they, they proud themselves on not having paid clergy. There's no paid pastor. It's all volunteer work. And somebody will just get up and give a testimony about why the church is true, how the Book of Mormon helped them this week, how living out these principles is helpful. So it's kind of just coming together and reaffirming that what we believe is good and here's why. Yep. But there's never the question is, what is it we believe and can it hold up under scrutiny? I just had on my podcast a good Mormon friend of mine, and we had a, a long discussion about salvation and temple. And it's it's really fascinating because you can bring out things like say, hey, this is what the Book of Mormon says. And it says it clear as day that God's grace isn't given to you until you basically stop sinning. Wow. And as I bring that up, <laughs> they're like, well, you know, that's not the way we understand it. That's not the way I, I see that verse. I see it this way. And there's so much room for interpretation because their whole religion has been reinterpreted. So it's the postmodern religion of America. How, how do you think we, we as Bible-believing Christians should reach out to Mormons or, or, or anybody of, of, of different faiths? How, what do you, how do you think we should do that? Well, it's going to be different for each one, but the core is always the relationship. So the Mormon I had on my podcast is somebody— that I've been conversing with now for years. Whenever I go to Salt Lake City, we try to get together. And he has a friendship that I can speak hard truths into his life. And he will try to do the same to me. Mm-hmm. So what I always say, oftentimes people celebrate the fact in the Christian church, I'm like, yeah, a Mormon came to my door the other day and I flamed it in his face. I'm like, why? Dude, God brought someone to your house. How? Yeah, like he knows we're so lazy He's just going to bring them to us. We're not going to go after them. <laughs> exactly. And so they are encouraged. Mormon missionaries are encouraged to, if you invite them over for dinner, they're supposed to come over for dinner. Mm-hmm. So you have young men and women around the ages of 18, 19 years old who aren't really sure. And I've talked to some missionaries in the last couple of months who weren't really sure they believed in Mormonism while on their mission. Like they're not sure that it's real or not, but they're, this is part of their journey. And then that, that's when it really solidifies in their life, whether they're going to believe it for the rest of their life or not. Yeah. Invite them in for dinner. Let them tell you about what they believe. Don't just start going, so I hear you believe in magic underwear. Don't, don't ever go over the low-hanging fruit. It all has to do with how do you view God? Yeah. How do you view Jesus? And I, I talk a lot about the person of Joseph Smith. So I, I, have, I always go to 1 Timothy 3.2. Mm-hmm. And if you got time, I'll just tell you real quick my little strategy. It, um, it's on my website, too, if you're ever curious. I have a teaching video on how to minister to Mormons. But I go to 1 Timothy 3.2, and in there is the qualifications for elders. And you can't be a drunk. You can't beat your children. You can't you know, be quick-tempered. And I just read that to him, and I say, can you imagine if I came into your church and I told you God gave me special permission to be drunk? Like, would that raise a red flag? And they're like, yeah, of course. And I go through each one of those qualifications. And I say, what if you, I said, God gave me special permission. And they're like, that's crazy. God would never do that. It's like, yeah, right. That's crazy. And then I let them know that I left one out. And I hand them my Bible. And I say, can you see which one I left out? Because I want them to see with their own eyes. It says, must be the husband of one wife. Mm. And you can see their face change. And I just ask them very simply, how many wives did Joseph Smith have? Yep. And some of them will say, oh, he had like two or three. He had 33, maybe 36 wives. Wow. I said, so now every single one of those that I listed, even if I claim special revelation and permission from God, you would say, no, that's not right. It goes against Scripture. 
how come you're giving Joseph special permission on this one? Yep. And you just let it sit. You just let it sit. I don't need to drive home a hundred different points because that's a lot for them to take in. It is. And they're going to try to justify it. I'll deal with any arguments they might bring, but I, I just want to sit there and say, maybe he's not who he claimed to be. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that. So do you, when you, I, I saw your latest article up on Wordslingers, and it talks about uh, atheism's dead. I want you. Oh, to, is that up yet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's up. I want you to. I want you to flush that out for me. What, what's uh, What's your idea on that? Atheism is dead. Well, it's because the arguments that still get used in the atheist community that seem like to then hold water have been so obliterated that they've been utterly destroyed so many times. The fact that they are still using it shows that they have no new arguments. Yep. So the fact it's, it's like I say, it's like reading an obituary over and over again. It's just every time they go to this argument, um, like God is some kind of evil moral monster in my recent debate with Seth Andrews as one of the top, um, podcasts, atheist podcasts in the U.S. And he would bring up, they say, oh, the Bible's pro-slavery. Well, if you actually understand, if you spend 10 minutes researching that statement, you know, okay, that's not true at all. Not nope. even close to being remotely true. Yeah. Bible gave rights to people that never had rights before. It treated people as equals. And so the Bible is the most anti-slavery book that was ever written. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's other places where they pull from, say, see, this shows that God likes child sacrifices. <laughs> and it's just a total, it's, it's intentional. Because yeah. if it's not intentional, it's unbelievably ignorant. And I say, I say that with love, and I say that to my atheist friends. Like, either you are just willing to believe stupid arguments because you don't want there to be a God, or you're as ignorant as these arguments. And so the fact that we – there's no more celebrities. What happened to all these four horsemen of atheism that were changing the world? Jordan Peterson has, like, with one, one swipe just knocked them all down, and he's leaning towards theism. He doesn't, he's not an atheist. He's not a Christian, but he is this theist. Yeah. And so because of that, people are starting to hear William Lane Craig and other apologists defend the faith, and they're no longer stupid just because they're Christian. And so I'm seeing this slowly disappearance of the popularity of these new atheists. Sam Harris is the last one left in his last couple of books. You know, he should stick to what he knows. All, all these guys are very smart. They're very intelligent. But then they stick their head in theology, and it's something they have no training or understanding of. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I, I, I'm a big fan of Ravi Zacharias, and I, I watch him when, when atheists try to – Try to pick him apart, and it's just funny because he just—I mean—and he, he does it in such a polite way that you know, like when he's when it's yeah. done, you're like, "Well, he's just such a sweet guy," even though he just obliterated their entire worldview, and just with, within just a few minutes. And it's just—I've in the field in which I've worked in the last ten years, I worked in the IT field for, and, and it's—I've met more atheists in that for some reason in the in the computer and coding world. There are tons of atheists, and I am just just boggle. It boggles my mind that if if you work with a computer and work with all the coding and all the stuff that happens in there, and you you know it takes somebody to actually code that and put that together, you wouldn't say, 
oh, that just all that stuff randomly was just slung together and it came about. It was actually right. someone behind it making that happen. Someone had to program wrap. Somebody had to to code that in to make that actually work. And if you didn't have somebody behind it, it, it wouldn't work at all. And I'm and I'm thinking to myself, if you're smart enough to understand that, why in the world is it that you're so blind to this idea that there is a creator who put your eyes together, which are even more complex than the computer you're working on? So I just, I don't, it's one of those things. I just, I think I agree with you. I think it is, it's going away. Well, I think one of the reasons you experience so many atheists in the IT field is because most people in IT are men, and they're young men. Um, so the most unreached people group is young men between the ages of 18 and 34. Yep. So they spend their life on video games yep. and in front of the computer. YouTube, atheism on YouTube is very popular, though it is not really educational. It's uh, just a lot of angry people ranting, talking about how superior they are in intellect to these <laughs> dumb Christians. And they haven't been exposed to intelligent Christian thought. And if I could rant for just one second, because this is one of the things that worry me about today's modern church. There are some great churches. They do some really good things. You know, they attract, they have like, here in Oklahoma, you would probably know the one I would be thinking of that has satellite campuses and their pastor is on a screen and they reach thousands of people a weekend. But... If a Muslim or an atheist was to engage them, they have never been taught that their faith is even defendable. Yep. So the watered down uh, kind of, you know, they do good things. I, under, I understand that. I'm not dogging these churches, but I, I do worry that these young men and women will not have the ability to stand in a any kind of public forum or at work and give a reason for the hope they have in Christ, which we are commanded by Scripture to do. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, yeah. No, go ahead. I, I always, I always stress. Um, there's something called presuppositional apologetics. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. I have. Uh, Greg Bonson is one of my heroes, and it's so. So I do youth conferences and things like that, and I just teach them that the laws of logic, the laws of reasoning and mathematics are all immaterial, unchanging, universal constants. Atheism cannot account for that. So if an atheist wants to have an argument with for me, like if he wants to have a discussion about whether God exists or not, he's lost the debate before it's even begun. Mm. Because he's agreeing to operate by the laws of logic. His worldview can't account for it. Mine can. And, and that just what I just said in, what, 45 seconds? I gave a defense for the Christian faith that defeats atheism. Yeah. If we just expose the next generation of believers to something this simple, not only does it begin to give them a love for apologetics, but it frees them up to talk to people of other faith because they're not so terrified. Yeah. I just had my friend on Dave Melhoff. He lives in the Oklahoma City area, and they they have a college. Uh, it's called Valid Worldview, and they have a college outreach center between a Mormon church and a Muslim mosque on the campus of UCO. And so they, they engage these people like this. And I just, the the church is terrified to engage anybody on, from these religious organizations because they don't know what they're doing. They come into these, you know, there's a big fancy church here in the town I live in and they've got state of the art, everything. And then they've got incredible lights. They've got incredible bands. Like the music is just, uh, just great. And when I talk to them, I say, what do you love about your church? And this, and the other church that you're mentioning, I've had conversations with those people as well. As well. I said, what do you love about your church? You know what the, almost every time they answer me? Music. The, the music. 
It's the music. Yeah. Oh, I love the music. We have the best worship in the world. And I think to myself, when tribulations are coming, music is not going to be something that you're going to be able to hold fast. You're going to enjoy it. And yes, there's a time and a place to worship and have good music. But to actually understand and hold to the, to the, to the foundational principles of our faith, you're going to have to know why you believe what you believe. And if you don't, and all you go to church for is because they have a great worship band, I got a feeling that a lot of these folks aren't going to be able to handle it when things go south. (laughs) When I was starting my church and we had these new believers and we were trying to teach them theology, I was trying to figure out how to teach them evangelism and theology at the same time. And that's when we came up with Mormons of May, that if you go to the Mormon website and request a free book of Mormon, they'll show up to your house. Really? So I did a little. I did a little bit of training. I taught them some basics, and then as they engaged people of other faith, which was evangelism, then we would meet once a week and we would go over what questions came up, what kind of thoughts they had, how do they deal with this, and then they would study and research on how to counter whatever beliefs they were hearing. So they were learning their theology, while also learning how to engage people as well. And it was one of the best things that we did. Wow, that's. That's awesome. I love to hear that. That's incredible. It's a, yeah, it's a great way to teach theology and evangelism at the same time because sometimes we trade one for the other. So music is a great, hey, come to our church. We've got great music. Sure. Music isn't threatening, right? Oh, I like the, you know, I like a good concert. That doesn't seem very threatening. Nope. Uh, but something in the church needs to be somewhat threatening, right? Like if the music isn't going to challenge and push you, music's good for encouraging and lifting the spirits. But if the music's done that, then maybe the sermon should be a little challenging and call you to repentance, call you to greater obedience, uh, call you to know actually why you believe what you believe. Yeah, I agree 100% with you. I'm so glad you came on the show today. How do we, if you want to get, if somebody wants to get in touch with you or want to, they want to, you, you mentioned you had a podcast as well. Uh, I'm, I do. How do we get a hold of you? Uh, well, you can go to calebmore.tv. And that's my website. I have a few teaching videos on there. My most popular one, the thing I get asked to teach on the most is Jesus and the Transgender Teenager, where I walk through the transgender movement, how it started, and how we can engage those without pushing them away. And my podcast is called Dog Backwards. And I talk with atheists and Mormons and people of other faiths and try to elevate the level of conversation to where we have good, healthy conversations without yelling and posting so-and-so destroyed these atheists or whatever, anything like that. We're just trying to have good, healthy, meaningful conversations. So Dog Backwards is the podcast. Very cool. Love it. Well, I'm glad you came on the show today. I'm glad you um, are are fighting the fight, uh, of the good fight of sharing the gospel and impacting people, not just in Catoosa, but just all of our entire state. I mean, we're... I see what you're doing and, and how you're impacting folks, and, and I am just impressed with, with your commitment to the gospel. And thank you so much for doing this, but would you uh, dismiss us in prayer? I would love to. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all the kind words that were just said about me, and Lord, may they be passed on to you, because we all know, and you know greater than any of us, that I don't deserve any kind of praise, hmm. that Lord, any kind of knowledge or capacity to do this job comes from the grace that you've given me and so lord i don't want to be a glory thief god all glory and honor belongs to you lord we pray for the state of oklahoma where we see mormonism moving in father that part of our job as pastors is to feed the sheep and shoot the wolves 
So sometimes we go out and we have to destroy false theology. We don't do that out of animosity, but we do it out of love because we want people to know the truth. Your word is truth, you are truth, and Jesus Christ is the truth. So, Lord, may we make you famous all over this town. We ask things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here. You bet, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Yep. This program has been brought to you by DSR, a technology company that has been investing in Bartles of the Families for over 35 years. DSR, we deliver technology.